Hello, and welcome to Brain Yapping, a new podcast that examines the everyday goings-on of humankind's greatest unifier, the brain. I'm Rachel England, and in every episode, I'll be putting comedian, actual qualified neuroscientist Dr. Dean Burnett through his paces, asking him questions about all aspects of braindom with no advance warning and no time to prep. That's right. As a prominent brain science guy, people come to me for explanations on everything from chemical imbalances to tribal mentality over the correct application of jam and cream to scones, and people take everything I say at face value. Of course, I do everything I can to be accurate and honest, but science lives and dies by constant scrutiny, which is why I've got my journalist pal Rachel here to help me really drill down into the brain-rated topics. And with no time to prepare, you'll see that scientists like myself can be just as bumbling and idiotic as everyone else. Hello, uh, welcome to the first attempt at the Brain Yapping podcast, uh, so named for, uh, well, a bit of a backstory. I'm Dean Burnett, I used to write the Brain Flapping blog for The Guardian, and uh, that's now closed down. Started up a new blog with the Shambles Network called Brain Yapping, and now decided to do a podcast to go along with it. Fairly straightforward so far, uh, I'm sort of a straight white guy on the media platform, people keep telling me, when you're going to do a podcast, it's like doing your taxes, you've got to do it eventually, you know, the longer you wait, the more you get fined. And rather than be uh, two straight guys talking about comedy, which is like the Smith of podcasts, <laughs> I thought I'd mix it up a bit because as someone who gets asked his opinion and to provide insight on all manner of stories because I'm a neuroscientist and therefore know everything about the brain and the brain is involved in everything. So I am one of the smartest people on earth, according to <laughs> many media outlets. I don't like that. That's a lot of pressure. So I thought I'd change that a bit and invite someone along who could challenge me to think on my feet and bring up subjects and issues I would never have thought of. So... I'm here with Rachel England, good Hello. friend of mine. No, I'm, I'm definitely not the smartest person on the planet, nor has any media outlet mm. ever suggested that I am. Um, I am also a writer um, and know almost nothing about neuroscience beyond what I've read in Dean's books. Um, mm. However, I'm a human person with a brain, and mm. I think that that makes me pretty qualified to ask some questions about it. Genuinely how it works, yes. You um, do have an extensive CV yourself, though, you're a writer, journalist... Uh, what other things have we done? I've uh, done some stand-up, I've yeah. done some spoken word. Poetry? Some poetry? Poetry, yeah, yeah just an all-round yeah. word bird. Occasional, occasional vigilante. That's occasional that's vigilante. Done, yeah. Actually, the first book that you wrote, um, you actually signed for me. This is yeah. back before we actually knew each other very well. Hmm. And you signed it to my favourite red-headed vigilante. Yes, I, I did. That still stands. Um, <laughs> okay, I, I'm assuming none of my other red-headed friends are vigilantes, but no, they haven't said so if they are. Uh, yeah, that's also something I did want to ask. You have described yourself as a goth before. Yes. <laughs> but you have bright red hair, not actual ginger hair. It's actually you know, crimson red. Uh, it's my understanding of the goth aesthetic that it's largely monochrome. And how do you reconcile oh, this so, disparity? So there are a lot of uh, a lot of misunderstood preoccupations about the goth subculture. And I, I don't yeah. think that having red hair um, ostracizes me from that. I did have black hair for a long time. Um, but it just didn't really go with my skin tone. It right. wasn't good for the pallor, you know. I mean, mm. there's looking dead and then there's just looking <laughs> really gross. Yeah, well, as someone who's just handled corpses for a living, I can, can fair, <laughs> they, 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 those two go hand in hand quite a lot. When If you have been dead for some time, you don't look your best. I, I will say that yeah. as someone who's got direct experience in, 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 in the medium. Okay, so the general gist of this was going to be that Rachel's going to ask me something and I'm going to try and explain how the brain operates in this scenario or to answer the question. And that's basically it. I have no idea what you're going to talk ask me about. So 
whatever. Let's see if we can thrash something out. Okay, so today's topic is born of uh, something that I think irks everybody in some shape or form, um, certainly some to a greater extent. And it's something that I call, and I'm certain that this isn't the actual term for it, <laughs> something I call almost remembering. Right. And I mean things like, so for example, every time I've gotten in the shower this past week, I've looked at my load of toiletries and I've thought, oh God, I need to get some shower gel. Hmm. Every time. And I go to a supermarket and I'm bimbling around and I'm doing my shopping. I get to the checkout and I'm like, there's something else. Hmm. What is it that I need? There's, some, there's something else, but I can't think what it is. I'm sure I'll remember later. Get home, get in the shower, uh, shower gel. Which explains now why I sort of smell a little bit like, I don't know, I suppose a 15-year-old boy's changing rooms because I've even had to use my partner's mm. Christmas Link shower gel. You know, the one where you get... Yes, I have several boxes myself. The, the oh. Boots gift pack that's yeah. given by a friend or a relative who just yeah. doesn't know you at all. Mm. Links, that's fine. That's something that men need. It's also really weird given the Links advertising output. It's like, you, you smell and look horny. I've <laughs> some Links. Right. Is that really how, what you think? Is that the image I give across? It, but isn't that strange, mm. though, that like grandparents give their grandson mm. these Links gift boxes and the advertising is just all like, hey... Use this and get women. As your I, grandmother, she's I, like, come on. Yeah, that, that and I've got one in the shower now. Like, it's just like, you just get it. I, I, oh, it's a link stuff. That's fine. I'll just put it to one side until I need some more shower gel. And I've just I, this week, I was looking in the shower. My current bottle of links, which I'm using, working my way through, it says it's Lynx Peace. That's a new one I hadn't heard of before. And it's all about saying, be a lover, not a fighter. I'm like, are you, are you making pacifism sort of borderline rapey? Is that is that? Oh, That's quite an achievement when you think about it. I remember this. This is, I mean, this shows how long you've had this gift set kicking around for. <laughs> okay. This, um, the Lynx Peace campaign was a couple of years ago, I think. And they had this big advertising drive which showed men in positions of relative power, like military leaders. Um, on the cusp, well, there was one advert that showed that like, this nation on the cusp of war, like nuclear war. Mm. Um, and he's like he's gonna press the red button but then he uses this shower gel and the, obviously the mm. women are sort of fawning all over him going think about the planet think about the future and he goes no actually nuclear war isn't the way let's <laughs> let's go with something else and thanks to links yeah thanks to the shower gel and this worries me because if, you, if you'd asked me i'd say donald trump looks like more of an old spice guy so <laughs> that's going to be a problem further down the line perhaps but that's, yeah, again, I completely missed an advertising campaign, and I'm kind of glad for it, but well, back to the original point. Um, so, yeah, yeah, so I smell like Lynx today, right. which is fine. I mean, it's mm. not, you know, mm. that's not gender smells, but no. we, we can't escape the fact that mm. the smell of Lynx does have connotations of, you know, mm. sweaty secondary school changing rooms and... Ugh. Yeah. So, this is because I keep forgetting to buy shower gel, even though every time I get in the shower... Rachel, buy shower gel. Completely mm. forget. But I don't completely forget. It's mm. almost remembering. I almost mm. remember. I know that there's something there that I need to do. Um, in the same way that someone will say, oh, are you free at the weekend? And I'm like, oh, there's <laughs> something. Mm. I, f I have a feeling that I'm not, but I'm not sure. So the question is, what is happening when your mm. brain is kind of going, woo, woo, there's something, but you mm. can't actually get to it? Right. Um, just to clarify, you did you set this up to sort of give me an easy ride for the first one? Because were you aware that my PhD is in memory retrieval? 
I actually, you know, I didn't actually know that your PhD oh, was in well, memory. Oh, there we go then. So thank you for for what should amount to a softball for the first episode. I of am this. I am literally looking at your doctorate on the wall. Yes, it uh, doesn't uh, say memory retrieval. No, it doesn't. Right? It just says uh, my name and uh, doctor of philosophy, which is you know that's what PhD stands for. Not yeah. uh, I don't have a philosophy degree, but uh, when I actually when I messaged you last to say um. We're going to do this. That fell off the wall and smashed. So, Did it? So was, <laughs> as bad omens go, that was, there that was a go. good one. There's a sign. Yeah. That's the universe saying, maybe, yeah. maybe not. And also, it's a, it actually happened on the weekend. It was my sister's wedding. And I did a short speech skit type thing. And I made a big joke about how I've kept uh, detailed notes. So every time she's done something which made me want to kill her, but I didn't, to show how generous a brother I am. Yeah. And I, the joke was I pulled progressively larger notebooks out of my bags and like uh, finish one and then then bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger the last one is this big black book which is dropped on the floor with a massive thunk that was my phd thesis and literally that's the first time i've ever used it for any context ever and it was for a joke yeah it was a three second to five years like that and it used it for a three second skit prop <laughs> playing the long game with yeah, that so one if day. anyone wants to know how my academic career was going that's that's fairly that's it in a nutshell, really. One day I'm going to get yeah. a few half-hearted laughs out of this. <laughs> yes, from family members who are clearly far too drunk to know what's going on. Ah, oh, academia. But, um, no, so I yeah. didn't know that yeah. your page... Well, so how, what a happy coincidence. Yes, so what happy So you're going to answer this in two minutes and that's the end of this episode. I guess so, yeah. Like, uh, you know, people like people's commute can last a bit longer. They can listen to it again. <laughs> listen for the funny bits. Um, okay, so several things going on there. Uh, there's a thing called context-dependent memory. That was actually the subject of my PhD in that when you're in the context that a memory was formed, uh, it's a lot easier to retrieve it. So it's like um, it's like when you've got a crossword and half the spaces are already filled in. It's like this, is this, this room I'm in now, this environment, it's part of the memory itself. So therefore, it's easier to recall. And there's a study uh, by Eichenbaum et al., uh, looking into recall thresholds. So it's like a memory trace in your brain, like the collection of synapses which forms this memory, as far as we understand. That has to be activated to a certain extent in order to be fully triggered. So it's, it's the difference between familiarity and recall. Right. So if, you see, if you see someone you know, or you've met before, you think, I know their face, don't know their name, don't know you know, what they do, don't know how I know them before, but their face is there in your head somewhere. I know that face, that's got it, that's triggering, a, uh, that's, that's, that's familiar. And that is uh, annoying at times when you meet someone, like thinking, I know, well, how do I know you? How do I, how do I, it's really buggy. And then they'll start talking and they'll bother you and then they'll say, uh, and then we were in prison together. Say, yes, that's who you are. Uh... I cellmate for three months and that's, um, no, or other examples. And so once you've got enough information to trigger the whole memory, it all comes flooding back. And that's sort of the recall threshold. So when you're in the shower, you're in the context. That's, that's triggering the memory enough. Like, oh, I need shower gel. And also, you're looking at the shower gel. Or but isn't that the absence thereof? Isn't yeah? Isn't that triggered more of the fact that when you get in the shower, you're doing your shower things. Hmm. You need the shower gel. You reach for it, and it's not. Yeah, there. well, but that's that's obviously you also thought you also, also reaching that conclusion again. As in, I want shower gel. I have no shower gel. You go. I need shower gel. Okay, so that's sure. that's basic logic, just formed of uh, putting things together. But then. When you're out and about, say in the supermarket, and that thing of, I know I need something, that's a bit tricky because you're in a shopping environment. You, you're there to buy lots of things, presumably. I mean, you don't go to the supermarket just for shower gel, do you? No, but no. I'm going to have to eventually. <laughs> well, again, <laughs> essentially, you have everything else. The logic yeah. dictates that you must get the shower gel individually. Yeah. It's a special item. You can't smell like links forever. No. Followed by women wherever you go and people will start to question. But maybe there will be peace. <laughs> that's a good point, yes. 
Yeah, don't buy shower gel. Like, we use in links, and therefore we can form some sort of... Uh, I mean, that would be handy right about now. It's not the most uh, stable political climate. Yeah. Maybe that's a problem. Maybe the links peace campaign just peaked too early. Yeah, that's it. Maybe, yeah. uh, links. if you're listening, it's down to you. Yes, come on, guys. Only the links planet, can then. save us now. Yes, that would be a cruel irony, I think, given how much they've been mocked. But there we go. That's that's links for you. Um, so, yeah, so you're in this... It's a thing also a process called blocking. In that you, you know there's memory there... But something else has been retrieved in its stead. So, like, you, you're going shopping. Like, I need shower gel. But I also need milk. I also need shampoo. I also need razors. I also need... And your brain's already thought of those. Mm. And those are sort of... So, we, those are too active in that uh, you've got the, the brain pathway thinking, I need to buy something from the supermarket. Your brain's going, yes, razors. Like, no, no, I need something. No, razors. That's the answer. It's like you, you have this lot in pub quizzes. Or when someone says, who was the lead actor in this film or who was the player for Man U in this particular year and you think of the wrong answer you think of oh it was um, Meryl Streep I don't think she ever played for Man U but you know she's got range and <laughs> interesting then, that you went with Meryl Streep <laughs> yeah, sure. okay go on I know more Meryl Streep than I do about football so that was that was the safer answer for me <laughs> Yes, because you, nobody's going to write in going, oh, actually, Meryl Streep did make an appearance <laughs> at one time. Yeah, Meryl Streep played for Villa in 87. <laughs> yeah. It's happened to be a lot because the World Cup's just been on, and my son's Millen's got really into it, and he's six. So he keeps asking me, he's always friends play football, now he's into football. But I've never been into football, but he keeps asking me everything about it. <laughs> but he's like, Daddy, who's the best football player? Who's the best football player? And I've... I, I've absorbed some football information Meryl from the Street. vague background. <laughs> well, I kept saying Pele, because obviously that's the, the correct answer, technically. <laughs> Is it, though? Well, he was. I know. mean, once upon a time, yeah. But yeah. Like, out of all football players that have ever lived, I am told okay. Pele was the best one. But Right. So he's watching... Brazil versus Belgium. So is Pelé in this one? Is it nobody? Seventy-seven. Is not, <laughs> no one is Pelé in any football? Well, yes. Digs out some VHS, <laughs> dusts them off. I did try to find them on YouTube, and they're really black and white. He goes, "What, what happened to this? What happened to this game?" Well, it, it was a long time ago. We didn't. They didn't have color then. <laughs> color had been invented. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But yeah, so. Mel Streep did not play football. Let's, let's clarify that. And that is a fact. Yes, that's a well, fact. Again, I can't say that. I don't know her <laughs> backlog. Maybe she has. But anyway, you remember the name Mel Streep in like the actor in this film? Um, no, say it was actually it was Helen Mirren, for example. But you already thought Mel Streep, and every time you think of like look at the question, now, your brain's going, "No, I've answered that. Mm. It's Mel Streep." And you think, "No, it's not that. It's someone else. Yeah. It's, it's close enough. Like it's a prominent woman actor who is like of that sort of age range and that sort of prowess and that um, profile. It's close enough that you don't actually the brain won't let it go." So I've answered this. I'm not putting more effort into answering it again. It's this one. The process has been performed already. This question has been asked. The memory system has been triggered to retrieve this answer. It's close enough. So your conscious brain is going, no, it's not that. But the memory system is going, no, no, it, this is the... It's like the path has been forged already and then it takes a path of least resistance. It's this answer. This is the one. So you have to work extra hard to try and work around that. So you've got this thing called blocking, which is stopping the actual memory you need from being triggered. So how does how does your brain reconcile that? Because obviously... Part of your brain is saying it's Meryl Street, hmm. and the other part of your brain is going it's it's not that. So is it, it like it's having a conflict within itself? Essentially, yeah. That's um, it depends on which side sort of which side which which aspect wins. Because but the memory system likes you all the time. Like that's something that happens quite often. We have a very flexible plastic memory system. We can retrieve information which wasn't in the original memory. Every time you recall a memory, you're sort of tweaking it. Someone does comedy. You tell anecdotes which 
aren't hundred percent true. You embellish them. You can, like you can be run three things together to make one funny story. Yeah. You tell it often enough, that will become the memory of it. And you ever had this with your partner in that I've told a story so many times that my wife actually tells it now as if she was there. Yeah. Even though it happened before I met her. Is this is this what sort of false memories kind of yeah. come from? Yeah, that's a big part of that, yeah. Especially I think about um uni days or whatever a long long time ago and people tell stories and it's a bit foggy and I can't remember exactly what was happening or who was there but I have the general sense and then someone will tell the story and I don't know whether that's actually true or not or Mm. factual but I think yeah that kind of fits with the thing so that's that's like my truth now Mm. so is this Mm. where the idea of false memories come from part of it yeah it's like the constant retelling of memory so you embellish it Mm. but there's also the fact that the brain's a very egocentric organ. It's full of ego because it's all about us keeping an even keel. And that's, it's, it's almost like a self-preservation thing because we need to believe we are decent and successful and capable because otherwise we'd be crippled with doubt every time you have to answer a question or make a decision. And some people are. I know that. We, we know people like this. So are, yes. I, I get that. Like, often we do one three things. I hate menus. It's like, yeah. you always go for the usual, don't you? Because, well, that's it. Overwhelmed yeah. by choice as well. Yeah. yeah. Choice is fine. Options are bad. I think I don't, I'm not a big fan of too many options. Sometimes. No, okay, that's fair. Yeah, but I mean, it depends what the options are, isn't it? Mm-hmm. I went to walk to walk the other night. I was mm. a little bit pissed. <laughs> and the menu is baffling. Mm. What kind of noodles do you want? And once you've made that choice, it's like, now you need four toppings. Okay, mm. and, now, and now you need something, some like garnish. And now you need a sauce. And I've just stood there and I'm like, this is... Yeah, it's like it's like the Ikea of takeaways, isn't it? I you can't cope with this. You've got to assemble it yourself and put it all together. And then and, the yeah. worst part was, is that I was like, okay, I want the egg noodles and I want it with and then chicken. And I'm under pressure. <laughs> yeah. And the guy's kind of smiling and nodding, going, chicken, mm. yes, fine, prawn, okay. And I'm like, onion. And he's like, yes. And then I go garlic and he just goes mm, no i can see he's, he's like she's building a good options and then i go with garlic and he's visibly disappointed in me yeah too much. you had such potential yeah I know. you could have been such a good customer but yeah no, you've let me down you savage you've, get out you've let yourself your garlic. down you've let your mother down going back to the false memories mm. idea it, it's something that's pulled up quite frequently in court trials mm. or crime you know instances yeah. cases of crimes and things where people have actually correct me if i'm wrong but people formulate these false memories and they genuinely and they have rigorous assessment with psychologists and psychiatrists and lie detector tests and all of these things and they form these memories that are so strong and clear that they're so convinced that they're accurate mm. and that they're true but it's not the case at all no they're not lying i think it's in their head and they are telling you hopefully 100% truth from their perspective, but yeah. the memory's been altered. It's not what it should be. The most famous case, uh, which I reference quite a lot, is uh, I think the first recorded instance of this happening in such a high-profile way was one of the Watergate whistleblowers. His name was John Dean. I remember that because his name's Dean, and I feel like that. Oh, he's also he's a massive criminal. I shouldn't really use him as a role model. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Another famous, well... Your uh, namesake. <laughs> yeah. Weirdly really helpful to the field of neuroscience, almost by accident, much like myself, but... <laughs> Yeah, he was one of the whistleblowers and came forward and said what happened in all these big meetings, all these conspiracy plans. But they said, obviously, they recorded all these interviews with him. And he described his role as like a, quite a central one. He made this decision. He decided this. So when we did this, I said we should do that. Mm. And he portrayed himself as a ringleader of the whole plot. But then they found the recordings of the actual meetings themselves. And if you listen to them back, they said, well, this is weird because he's not actually as high profile as he thinks he is. He's just like a bit player. He occasionally mutters something in the background. He's far more peripheral to the decision-making, but he's, he's, arguing, he's telling everyone else that he was 
central. Mm. And he wasn't lying. In his head, he genuinely believed he was. Because the brain has this egocentric bias. If something happens of which is important in our head, we like to think we were a bigger part of it than what we think. We remember being a bigger part than we were. So he wasn't trying to be, you know, look at me, I'm the big swinging dick. He was actually, that's how we remembered it, because that's a better memory. Think I was in charge here rather than I was just a glorified extra. And that happens a lot of the time. When you, there's something like called the, um, the hindsight bias. If you make a decision entirely arbitrarily, like say you've got the choice of three restaurants to go to uh, this one randomly, yeah, and you go there, and it's a really nice restaurant. In your head, you'll, odds are you'll remember thinking, "Yeah, I knew it'd be good because I'd heard this." And like you, you'll take credit for that decision, even though at the time you knew it, you were away, it was totally arbitrary. But in hindsight, you remember it as being a clever choice on your part. So your brain's always looking for ways to big itself up. Yeah, essentially. It, again, it's a self-preservation thing. We're all concerned with status. We're a highly social creature. We want to think we are good and worthwhile, and we present the best possible image of ourselves, and that ends up being part of who we are and things. So, and that the memory system is warped by this. We actually end up tweaking our memories constantly. Again, and in courtroom settings is where this is the most important. Most of the studies have been done in courtroom situations because obviously eyewitnesses are a big part of it. I actually got a letter once when I was working for the university. Really sort of poetic something as well, but it was actually a guy from Glasgow who was on trial for robbing, I think his mother's house or his neighbour's house. He was saying like, People saw me do it, but we, you know and I know that the human memory system is fallible. So I would like you to come and testify on my behalf that anyone's memory cannot be trusted. Oh, so I thought, okay. <laughs> I thinking, right, now, there's a few problems with this. First off, you're in Glasgow, and I'm in Cardiff. Not going to happen, mate, no offence. I'm yeah. going to fly to Glasgow to do a favour for a complete stranger who is quite likely a criminal. That's, yeah. that's not a tempting thing. Secondly, if I succeed, I'll have brought on the British justice system because well, exactly. I, I know I don't need that sort of pressure to be. No, nothing can be. Nobody and nothing can be trusted ever. So yeah. anarchy in the streets. Exactly. We'll never be able to prove guilt. Yeah, I mean, like I would just got confused whether Mel Street was a football player. I don't think I can be trusted <laughs> to testify in court on behalf of all humanity. <laughs> so that was the thing. I didn't. He didn't even leave a return address. So I couldn't do it anyway. But. But that is a, that is a genuine his memory failed and well, you forgot. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, that's the thing. Memory is fallible, yeah. as oh, he himself well, said. That's, that's the thing, isn't it? And if you ever got in touch, I could say, I did reply. What are you on about? <laughs> <laughs> ah, see. Hoisted by your own petard, <laughs> Mr. Scottish criminal, who I don't know. But that is a genuine concern. It's eyewitnesses aren't nearly as reliable as we need them to be for a courtroom situation. That's why, you know, for all of the downsides of it the modern world of cctv footage everywhere and people with phones it is actually a bit more useful because far more likely to have actual recorded footage mm. machines they can be edited but they don't you know they just record what is the human brain does not do that it tells other bits it likes it and you can actually you can influence someone's memory if you're in a position of authority like elizabeth lofter studied this with some you know psychotherapy trying to cure this um uh patient but actually ended up giving her loads of false memories about Childhood abuse in a cult because she thought that's what the problem was. Mm. Kept asking loads of leading questions. Oh, did, were you in a cult? You know, and you got to think your memory is very prone to the situation you're in. So if someone with authority over you, someone you sort of either look up to or are scared of or are intimidated by, tells you something happened, you're going to be more likely to believe them. Because you know, if you're an eyewitness, you didn't ask to be involved in this, but you've been dragged into the legal system. You know, someone's life is on the line there. Like if you say the wrong thing, someone could go to jail or worse. And so you're sat there like this big courtroom's quite intimidating. You know, it's all the, the, the pomp and ceremony, but also the very serious outcomes. You have to do the swear in the Bible thing as a judge sort of looking at you. 
And a solicitor says to you, uh, what was the accused in the shop? And you remember them not being there, you say no. But if they said, where in the shop was the accused? That then makes it clear, like they, they say, no, he was there, where was he? Then you'll doubt your own memory. Oh, well, I don't remember seeing him. Was he by the door? And then that sort of thing. You're really nervous. You're on the back foot. You're being put on edge by the situation. And this big booming guy looks down on you and says, where was it? And then that, that can, you know, your memory will sort of try to shift itself to fit the situation. And that's, again, that's very telling. That's very worrying. Yeah, there's, um, I don't know if you saw on Netflix a while ago, there was a big, um, big trend for well there is this ongoing trend for real life sort of crime investigative mm. drama um and something called making a murderer and all of this yes I yeah know. and that's exactly what you're talking about um without sort of giving too much away there's one individual implicated in a crime who is sort of young and probably quite vulnerable and there are lots of recordings that show uh police officers doing exactly what you just said um, you know, the way the language they use or the insinuations they make um, are helping to plant these false memories. <clears throat> and the individual in question later goes away and is, is heard saying, I can't remember doing it, but I must have done. Or did I do it? And then he starts describing how he did it, even though he didn't do it. And so mm. obviously memory is, as you say, elastic and mm. quite fallible. Yeah, there's a really unsettling um, type of dementia, um, Wernicke-Korsakoff syndrome, caused by excess alcohol a lot of the time, the mammillary bodies in the brain shrink. They were, they were overlooked before. They're quite tiny little bits, but when they're gone, suddenly that you get confabulation. It's where people clearly can't access their real memories. So if you ask them, uh, so what did you do today? They'll say, oh, well, I, I, went, to, I went to a bookshop and then I sort of went to... I had to look for some wood panelling, and uh, there was a, I went to shop some black. And they, they just look around the room, and they'll form memories based on what they can see, and they'll they'll say them deathly serious as if that is exactly what they what what happens. So that happens instantaneously. Yeah, they they make it as they go along, but they don't realise they are because the, it's like the brain's going like this file missing thing. They don't just fill anything, fill anything, but it's the subconscious part of the brain doing that, and it's really quite disconcerting because obviously these people can't remember anything they can't actually and they're not even aware that they're doing no that. they have no no idea that, that's the worrying that's part. quite frightening yeah and then you tell them about it and they get really freaked out because like no no that, that definitely happened and then yeah so you know that's sort of, that sort of process is happening generally you know the brain's filling in the gaps and filling the blanks it, 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 the brain does that a lot mm. the, the sensory information which goes in is nowhere near as rich and detailed as what we perceive that's the brain a lot of polishing a lot of filling things up filling in the blanks and it's good, it's really good that it does that, but that means the brain's constantly creating this world we see around us. And as a result, you know, like a lot of what we perceive is the result of our own brain's creation. And, you know, so if anyone's not enjoying this, it's largely their fault, not mine. <laughs> Work harder to have a good yeah, time guys. and enjoy this, guys. I'm doing my best here. Come on. So, going back to my shower gel. <laughs> That's what this was about. Dilemma. <laughs> this is it, yeah. Hmm. Going back to that. But the conversation we just had suggests that obviously the brain is um, completely fallible, um, memory is very elastic, and mm. we can even mould it to create false memories or um, to change our perception of things that have happened. So, mm. back to the shower gel, and I can't remember to buy shower gel. Can I then influence my brain in a way that would make me better able to remember these things? Technically, yes. You know, the people who do competitive memory 
games, you know, the Memory Olympics, they have tricks and skills to memorize to remember huge swathes of information. Yeah. Like mnemonics and sort of repetitions and practicing and stuff. And that is quite you know, quite impressive. So we, we, the ability is there in most brains to do this. It's a question of what works for you and how you want to go about it. I mean, I think if you stood in the shower, then sort of associate it with something unique. That's what they say about if you leave in the house, don't just lock the door. Lock the door and like do a little dance or tap your nose three times. Cause, or, but don't do it every time. Like, do, it, do it the first time and think, did I lock the door? Oh yeah, because I tapped my nose three times. That was weird, wasn't it? But it does, it, it attaches something unique to the memory. So if you're in the shower and you're sort of like, oh, I need some shower gel. And then just sort of start singing some Genesis songs for, for no reason whatsoever. Right. You're walking, oh. Why did I do? Oh yeah, I need shower gel. Like then that sort of associate with something original, because uh, like original memories tend to, especially it's evocative but emotional too. So if you do something stupid, you think, why did I do that? I thought it was ridiculous. Oh, because I need shower gel, and then you can reconcile that with your own self-image. Well, when I smell like links, I mean, <laughs> yeah, well, who can say? Yeah, exactly. So you know, links is uh, you know, people just crawl over you, don't they? That's apparently allowed when you wear links. Well, actually, maybe that could be my memory. Actually, if I if I wash in links and then go to the supermarket and mm. obviously people will be following me around yeah. like throwing themselves at me and I'm, why is this happening ah because I smell of links oh mm. need some shower gel yes by something with a name like a goddess name or some sort of flower name oh yes yeah. obviously because mm. the, the links stuff that I'm using at the moment has obviously got some very male name Axe yeah. or Links Magnum. Yeah, links, ice. Links head wound. Or gun. <laughs> I'll get something that's got links flowers on it. thermal nuclear. Yeah, that's, yeah that's, <laughs> warfare. Yeah. So does brain training have any sway then? It can. Uh, mostly, uh, but mostly limited to whatever you're training them to do. So people say like, you know, these brain training games, like number games, arithmetic or crosswords to train your brain. Yes, they do train your brain to be good at crosswords or to be good at that particular number game. The brain's really quite flexible when it comes to applying intelligence to things. It's very hard to increase your overall intelligence by by doing one particular thing. Right. Let's say you're a general with an army of 500 men, and you think, well, I need a bigger army. So you send one guy to the gym for a month. He comes back and he's a bit bigger. Right, now you've got 500 men with one bigger soldier. You don't have any overall increase. Okay. That doesn't mean you're less intelligent. It just means you have this much to work with. You can deploy them in different ways. Like people will have certain intelligence levels where they can use them in very creative, insightful, useful ways. But you don't have any more. You know, you don't, you don't just increase your intelligence level. You don't go from Joe Pasquale to Einstein. And a weird, okay. a weird person. Incoming here. emails from lawyers. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I have no idea why Joe Pasquale was the first one I thought of for la- lack of intelligence. Joe Pasquale, Meryl Streep. Yeah. People, people there at the forefront of your consciousness. Yeah. Long sort of football. I'm all right, I think. So yeah, so that's that's essentially why you can't remember shower gel. Good to know. And so your suggestion then going forward would be when I run out of shower gel or eggs or there's a date or something that I'm thinking about is to try and associate it with a new Mm. memory. Yeah, or remember you're doing something unusual. Like say, locking your door. Like leave the house, lock my door, then put your keys in your pocket. That's not new. That's something you always do. Yeah. Like locking your door, using your keys to carve a swastika in your forehead. That's new. Like, that'll remind you that you locked the door, but also leave you with some very questionable scars. That's just a bit that also just create a whole bunch of other memories, yeah, yeah, more I mean, problematic I mean, memories. I don't think that's a, no, that's a helpful solution. I mean, <laughs> and then you're walking yeah. down the street, why have you got a swastika carved in your forehead, Rachel? And go, oh. uh, I need a chow gel? <laughs> and I'll be like, oh yeah, of course. <laughs> It's the only way I remember. Ah, that's why there's so many Nazis these days. Links has stopped. Yeah, it's all resolved back there now, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It all comes back to links. 
Well, they do say that like olfactory cues are some of the most yeah evocative memories, evocative and influential. I'm not entirely sure how accurate that is. I haven't seen many studies on it, but people have said it a lot. But it's a lot of it's because the olfactory bulb, where the smell is processed in the brain, is right next to the hippocampus where memories are formed. Okay. So you would expect some overlap, I guess, in that. So that's possible. Well, yeah, because it's like you, you know, you can on a summer's day, the smell of freshly cut grass reminds mm. me of being a kid in summer, or how mm. sometimes I walk past a, a guy who's wearing aftershave, which will, for better or worse, remind me of an ex-boyfriend. Mm. I remember seeing like one of the Heston Blumenthal shows once, and he had one of those ones where he cooks a really weird. Well, always cooks a really weird dinner, for, <laughs> but for a not shoe. Yeah, well, for a celebrity thing, it was a Christmas thing, I think, and he said, "I want to make my." this meal evocative of Christmas and the starter was some sort of ice cream with a sort of charcoal flavour served in a flaming on a red leather plate or something because it smells like red leather and cigars and my grandfather always used to smoke cigars in his red leather armchair so that reminds me of Christmas so I thought, well, that's not anyone else's memory that's yet. not so a that, very universal <laughs> experience that, that, that's your it? grandfather yeah. most, most people's sort of Christmas yeah. memories sort of revolve around I don't know Bird Christmas pudding, hmm. that plasticky smell of toys, of new toys. Yeah. And whiskey and regret. You know, whiskey, so. <laughs> regret, yeah, that's it. Bird Cigars and, and red leather. Well, Very we, niche audience. Well, we've got the point now, it doesn't care anymore. Like, what, what can I feed people? And just, they'll genuinely do think it's brilliant. And well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Literally anything. This is um, some kind of glace made from shards of glass. Oh, wow. Revolutionary, a genius boy, a genius. Yeah, the sensation comes, the taste comes from when the, your throat is cut, and you can <laughs> taste the blood. Hmm. That's it. Meta- metallic flavors, I love it. I've been told that's how Goldschlager works. Drink with them um, gold flakes in it. Wait, it cuts your throat. Yeah, you know, they said the gold flakes—they actually cut your throat. The alcohol gets in faster. I thought, I'm pretty sure that's not allowed. I think that's probably illegal. Yeah, it's also bullshit. Clearly, because that gold flake is not doesn't have like a, a cut an edge on it. No, and. I, is it even, like, gold gold? I hope not, because it's quite cheap. Well, yeah. Well, considering for a bottle well, of gold, yeah. Our economy is a lie <laughs> if Groschlager is actually full of gold. It's riddled with gold. In, in quantities such that could actually inflict physical harm upon you as well. Mm. Okay, so Groschlager's rubbish, but buy shower gel. Yes. <laughs> yeah, buy shower gel that's not Lynx. Or maybe you should buy Lynx. World peace depends on it. I'm not sure it holds water, but I'll look into it. Come back to it next week. Okay, well, thank you very much, Dean Burnett. And uh, next time I'm in the shower, I'll stab myself in the eye, or <laughs> I don't know, curl up in the ball and cry. Oh, no, you said it has to be something unusual. <laughs> and I'll, I'll let you know how the the shower gel retrieval goes. Or I might actually just leave here now and just make a special trip to the supermarket to get it. And we'll be back next week, I believe. And I will choose a topic on which you are not so readily forthcoming. Mm. Yes. And do a bit more research there. Yes, that would be... Uh, well, it might be interesting, it might not. I don't know. Maybe I'm an expert in everything. People well, seem to think I am. As you said, yeah. apparently, according to the media, you are the smartest man on the planet. Well, none of them actually said that, but it's the gist a lot of the time. Oh, and here we go. Here's the yeah. memory picking <laughs> yeah, exactly. itself up. <laughs> Although my favourite one, which is real, is that when I had a go at uh, is it Professor Canavero... Um, the, the Italian neurosurgeon who keeps maintaining he can do a head transplant. Ah, yeah. Yeah, he's, uh, he's he can't, by the way. I'll just point that out now. Uh, but I've publicly refuted his claims many times. And because of this, I got for an interview for a Brazilian publication. In it, they describe... It might be a translation thing, but they describe me as Dr. Dean Burnett, brackets, an expert in raising the dead. 
<laughs> well, that's well. There you go. Quite a leap. Put that on your CV. Always on there. That's, that's a cover page. Maybe let's yeah. let's actually just rename this in honor yeah. of that. Yeah, Dean Lazarus Burnett. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Okay. Good talking to you, Dean. Thank you very much, Rachel. Thanks for coming. And if anyone's interested, uh, my books, uh, The Idiot Brain and Happy Brain, are available now in all good bookshops and all the bad ones. You know, give them a chance of redemption. And we'll see you around. If you'd like to read the Brainy Up in blogs, go to cosmicshambles.com forward slash blogs, where you'll find Brainy Up in plus lots of other exclusive science blogs from the likes of Helen Chesky, John Butterworth, Susie Gage, Ginny Smith, and others. If you enjoyed today's episode, please do share it on social media. Give it a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts, as that does really help us out. If you'd like to support the show and everything we make at Cosmic Shambles, you can pledge via Patreon for as little as $1 a month. There's lots of great reward tiers available too. Go to patreon.com forward slash bookshambles or follow the links from cosmicshambles.com. This podcast is part of the Cosmic Shambles Network.